We have real sports to talk about. How about that? No replays, no just wondering when things are going to be back to normal. Just real new sports content. And we're certainly talking about it on the Brandon Contest Jets podcast right now. Contest. I am a Contest. You better like me. I'm from Patchog. All righty. Nice job, as always, with the free music YouTube. You're listening to the Brandon Contest Jets podcast on SB Nation, episode 30 of my first ever sports podcast, where we keep it simple, we keep it short, never more than 20 minutes. If I have more to say, I'll just make another podcast. I think we learned something about Joe Douglas this week. He's going to maximize his draft picks. He's going to do it aggressively. He's going to go for value. He's going to go for potential. And he's going to put emphasis on character. And I want to start with the idea of Joe Douglas maximizing his draft picks. Because what I mean by that is he's going to get the guy that he wants. But he's going to do it with the right draft pick. He's not going to reach. And you go back a couple of years ago when the Cleveland Browns took Baker Mayfield with the first overall pick, and then they took Denzel Ward with the fourth pick. Both of those picks were looked at as reaches. They likely, they they could have taken Saquon Barkley first overall, and then they probably would have had Baker Mayfield there with the fourth pick. And if they really wanted Denzel Ward, if he, he was really a priority, they could have traded down. They could have dealt the first pick. They could have moved back a few slots, gained more capital, and still ended up with Mayfield and Ward. Then last year, you look at the New York Giants and Dave Gettleman. They take Daniel Jones with the sixth overall pick, which was a massive reach. People were making fun of that pick. And look, there's certainly something to be said for making sure you get the guy that you want, but you need to do it intelligently. If you can get Daniel Jones at 17, don't get punchy and nab him 11 picks sooner. The Giants should have came out of last year's draft with Josh Allen and Daniel Jones. Instead, they settled for Dexter Lawrence. So, And look, if Joe Douglas, if he took Denzel Mims, for example, if he took him at 48, I would have been fine with that. But J.D. knew that he'd be there later. He trades down with Seattle, gets more draft capital, and still lands Mims at 59. You get the guy that you want, but you do it aggressively, and you maximize picks. Now you have three third-round picks, and Douglas uses the first two, then trades that 101 pick you got from Seattle to New England of all places. Now that's already Douglas's second trade with Bill in his uh, short tenure leading the Jets. You remember the Demarius Thomas trade last September. But dealing the 101 pick to the Pats and getting three picks in return, led by 125 and 129 this year. I mean, normally I'm skeptical of taking anybody or anything that Bill Belichick is willing to give up, thinking that somehow it's it's tainted, somehow we're going to be the ones getting burned. But 101 for 125, 129, and a pick next year was a steal. I don't care that it's New England. I don't care that it's Bill Belichick. I don't even care the players, what what they turn out to be. Douglas, in this situation, he outsmarted Bill Belichick. And it's such a Bill-style move as well, what Douglas did. You trade down, you get more capital, and you still get the guy that you want. Look, could they turn out to be duds? Sure. Could could Dalton Keene turn out to be a great tight end for the Patriots? Sure. But it's the right methodology of running a draft. You maximize your picks. If you could get the guy that you want later in the draft, then do it. Don't be afraid to make deals. Don't don't reach in the draft. Don't do what Gettleman did with Daniel Jones. I love having a general manager that, that's willing to be aggressive and willing to emphasize value. And Douglas is, he's known as a scout. So how these players are going to turn out, we're going to see. But to me, this past week, Joe Douglas proved that he is a good navigator of the draft. 
I have a strange confidence with what I saw from the Jets and Joe Douglas these last couple of days. Because normally I'd also be panicked right now that the Jets just traded the Patriots the next Rob Gronkowski. But who's throwing the ball to Dalton Keene next year? Is it Jared Stidham? We don't know who the quarterback of the Patriots is. And look, I've I've been saying that I have a hard time viewing losing a 43-year-old quarterback as a negative for New England, and I stand by that. I do. Brady was not great last year, and cutting ties with him just it gives Belichick a chance to build New England the way that he wants, build a team toward the future rather than build around an old, immobile, immobile quarterback that lacks arm strength. Brady was becoming a liability in terms of building the Patriots for long-term success. That being said, I'm not, even though I think it was a smart move for the P, it's a difficult move, especially from a marketing standpoint, but I think from an on-field standpoint, it was a smart move to move on from Tom Brady. That being said, I'm not concerned about this team being an offensive juggernaut next year, and I'm not concerned about Keen being a, a top tight end next season. The Jets won that deal. The Jets won that deal with the New England Patriots, and I, I believe Joe Douglas outsmarted Bill Belichick. At the same time, I'm going to give Belichick credit for this because he won the Gronk trade with Tampa Bay. Gronk looked old and beat up two years ago. They dealt a retired tight end for a fourth-round pick. I don't know how anybody expected New England to get better than that. And he wasn't going to play with New England next year. He wasn't going to come back out of retirement to play with the Patriots. He was only going to come out of retirement to play with Tom Brady. So they, they weren't going to be able to get any more out of Tampa Bay than that. I, I was surprised they got as much as they did. But right now, the Jets have the best quarterback in the division. And it happens to be the worst quarterback division in the entire NFL. And, and that could change as Tua develops and depending on how good Darnold or Josh Allen become for the Buffalo Bills. But right now, it is by far. You look around the league, it's by far the worst quarterback division in the entire NFL. And I've been nervous that because Darnold is not a Douglas guy, he's not an Adam Gase guy, he's from an old regime. So maybe at some point, they're going to want to bring in their own quarterback. But J.D.'s offseason, Joe Douglas's offseason with the Jets has me thinking that they believe in Sam Darnold and they're going to give him every opportunity to succeed by building an offensive line around him. And look, I, I said this recently also, recognizing that the Jets have an offensive line problem, that's easy. Fixing it is the difficult task. And signing a few guys does not guarantee a good offensive line by any means. You know, they've tried it before. Kolecce Osemele, Kelvin Beecham. It's not like they haven't brought in offensive linemen during the offseason in the past. Now they bring back Alex Lewis. They signed Connor McGovern. They signed George Font. They signed Greg Van Rotten. They're on target with what they need. But we have no idea how this offensive line is going to mesh. And I'm not going to I'm not going to praise Douglas yet for recognizing the obvious and signing a few bodies on the O-line. It just in hopes that maybe at least one of them pans out. But the one area of hope that I have with Joe Douglas is that the fact that he was an offensive lineman. So an offensive lineman who turns to be a scout, who turns a GM, if he has one area of expertise, if, if he has one area where I'd be willing to bet that he can recognize talent, it's got to be on the offensive line. And I was ecstatic. I absolutely I thought it was the right, it was the necessary decision to grab a tackle with their first pick. Six foot seven, 374 pound. You saw his pedigree. The entire Becton family looks like they'd do a, a hell of a job keeping opposing NFL defenses from touching Sam Darnold in the backfield. And I, I don't care about the, the drug test issue. The dude is huge and oddly quick. The tools are there, but can he be developed? That's the next question. And I, I've talked about wanting Bill Callahan, but Frank Pollock, he's done it before. The Jets offensive line coach was able to work with one of the best offensive lines in football when he was in Dallas. He helped Zach Martin and Travis Frederick develop into all pros. Let's see him do it with Mekhi Becton. 
If Becton is a stud, and even if, if just one of the free agent signings turn out, preferably Connor McGovern, give me a strong center, th- then I think we're going to see a different Sam Darnold this year. That's assuming that we have football this year. Let's just let's think optimistically for now. But but this kid from Louisville, I, uh, the uh, kid, okay, the kid from Louisville, okay, big kid, okay, smart kid, okay, nice kid, okay. But g- give me the big boys up front. If Sam Darnold's going to develop, the Jets need to give him time. The Jets need to protect their most valuable asset. They need to protect the best quarterback in the division. And you do that by investing top picks in offensive linemen. Th- there was no way I was going to draft a wide receiver here. And I think anybody that thought they should go wide out with the first pick wasn't paying attention to what the Jets need and wasn't paying attention to who the general manager is. Quick break. Lots to get to still on the Brandon Connors Jets podcast. Back after this. I thought the draft production presentation was solid overall. ESPN, ABC, NFL Network, I thought they did a good job. And from the standpoint of I was expecting technical issues, especially with how bad the game of horse ESPN did a couple of weeks ago was. But I was expecting some technical issues with the virtual NFL draft. But any issues that I actually ended up having with the draft came from decision-making by the networks because I, I mostly watched on ESPN ABC had the different feed, but on ESPN, it was way too many analysts, too much back and forth. I I don't need to see six different people on the screen at the same time, not knowing who should speak next. It was asking for trouble. You trim it down. Give me Trey Wingo. Give me Mel Kuyper, Lewis Riddick, a few interviews from Susie Colbert, and that's it. And I I thought Trey Wingo did a great job hosting, and the analysts individually, they were good. But by having so many, they made Trey's job impossible. And not knowing which analysts were ready, not knowing when a highlight was going to come on or when a pick was going to be made, it it felt choppy at times. And I think if they just did a little bit less, the whole broadcast would have felt smoother. And then Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell, the, the wardrobe changes, set changes, watching him do TikTok dances, chatting and joking with the fans on video. I will miss the interaction I have with our fans over these three days. It's a draft tradition and one that I genuinely enjoy. Let's hear from you right now. Oh, come on, guys. You can do better than that. Let's go. Oh, Strahan, come on, let's go. Come on, you guys can do better than that. All right, keep it coming. Wow, even the virtual booze are good. People don't like Goodell. He's a businessman, and he's a damn good businessman for the league, but he has no personality, and they treated him like he had this engaging, funny host, and, and every time he tried to do something, it just it fell flat. The, the jokes, the banter, you know, saying names wrong, telling us the 2020 draft is in Las Vegas, he was awful. You know, let him say the first-round picks, and that's it. They, they, they tried making him out to be this fun and, and popular personality, and it's too late for that. People have their opinions of Roger Goodell already. People know he's not engaging. You know, just let him keep the league profitable, and that's it. And the other thing, it was also it was way too long of an intro. I think the Bengals pick, the, the draft came on at 8 o'clock, and the Bengals didn't pick until after 8.30 or right around there. But I do, I give them a ton of credit for making it feel like a big event, even though it was so stripped down and it, it was all done virtually. I, I know some people thought they played too much into the sob stories, it seemed like a lot of players had parents or close relatives that died. And I think they were just kind of trying to they were trying to play to the casual fan that, you know, keep the fan that doesn't usually watch the draft engaged by making it kind of newsy like that. And they knew that there there isn't much other content on out there right now. And they knew that people were so starved for sports that they had a chance to get a few extra eyes. 
So I think even though they're they're sad, these stories keep the casual fans engaged more than uh, presenting just a bunch of in-depth football analytics. But uh, I was I was impressed overall. I was more impressed with the draft than I was the equally hyped Bulls doc, The Last Dance, which was last Sunday night. It, it was good. It was good. It, it was not great. Uh, but there were eight episodes left to to go to to reach great. And I think the the hype of that documentary had me expecting to be moved to tears, and it, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe my expectations are too high. But I also I think everybody has been so starved for for new sports content that they were almost overly accepting of how good the first episodes were. Again, they were very good, but the social media reaction was just, it was like over the top of talking about how incredible it was. And I I kind of allot that to, you imagine if you haven't had anything to eat for days, when you finally do eat, even if it's an overcooked, sodium-filled, low-quality cheeseburger, it could still taste great. And, And I think we just, we saw how starved people were for, that new content, that that everybody was just raving about it no matter what. Uh, I expected to be moved. I was not moved. I have not been moved yet with that documentary. I expected to instantly want to rewatch it, and I didn't. I'm, I'm still looking forward to it again on Sunday, but that's because it was good. It wasn't great. But what was great was the Jets picking a tackle in the first round. Loved the Mims pick as well. Like I said, I would have been happy if they took him at 48. Tackle round one. Wide receiver round two, Ashton Davis is another value pick, a safety that you can plug right in with Jamal Adams, who I do believe is going to be there next year, Marcus May as well, a guy that plays with an edge, contributes on special teams, and should be loved by Greg Williams. I actually, I thought about Bryce Hall there, interestingly enough, but that's why JD's the general manager and not me. The Jabari Zuniga pick was interesting in the third round, and largely because of the Ja'Kai Polite comparisons, which are very valid. Both athletic edge rushers, both looked at as potential sleeper picks, both have potential, both drafted in the third round, both drafted by the New York Jets, both played at Florida. The the similarities were staggering. The biggest difference is one was picked by Mike McCagnan, the other is picked by Joe Douglas. McCagnan took Polite. He signed him to a four-year deal, and then one of the first moves by Douglas last summer was cutting him before the season started. And look, McCagnum would not have cut him because he was invested in him. Douglas has no ties to him. Uh, Zuniga's going to get a chance. He's fast. He's athletic. He's powerful. Can Greg Williams help him find his motor? We'll see. Look, the the Jets certainly need edge-rushing, pass-rushing help, um, but I, I think if Polite wasn't picked in a similar spot last year and been an absolute massive bust. I, I think maybe this pick would have been met with a little bit more positivity. LaMichael P. Ryan, another area of the need. The Jets don't have much to compliment Le'Veon Bell right now. Ty Montgomery, Bilal Powell, they're both gone. They'd like Bell to be gone, but that's just not feasible. He, he's here for one more year, and Gates better use him. But a 4-6-40, so not a guy known for his speed, more of a power runner, uh, running backs are, they're, they're a crapshoot. You can find them late in the draft. It's not a position that I want to invest a lot of draft capital in, so I have no problem investing a fourth-round pick in in Pirine. Again, an area that they, they need depth behind Bell. Uh, so taking a taking a running back there, I have no problem with that. Then they, they go quarterback. Another area of need because two years in, and, and Sam Darnold has missed time both seasons. And last year especially, the Jets were historically bad on offense when Sam Darnold was out. So good backup quarterbacks, they're no longer a luxury for teams. It's a necessity. We saw the Philadelphia Eagles. They traded up in the second round for Jalen Hurts, and they have an MVP caliber quarterback in Carson Wentz. And 
the the Adam Schefter provided excuse of drafting Hurts because of coronavirus concerns were, were laughable. Wentz can't stay healthy. They didn't draft Hurts because of COVID. They drafted Hurts because there are hundreds of potential things that can happen to cause Wentz to miss time. But backup quarterbacks are crucial. And personally, I, I would have went with Jake Fromm instead of, of James Morgan. I know Morgan is viewed as having more upside, mobile, strong arm, but I, I'm not looking for somebody to project as a potential starter. I'm looking for a quarterback to step in and be competent if Darnold is out. And the knock on Fromm is his arm strength, but he's more accurate. He's more polished than Morgan. You give me the guy that can be adequate. Give me the guy that can run an offense and not make a ton of mistakes as a backup. I don't want a project as a backup. I want a guy that if if Darnold ends up missing three or four weeks next year, he could step in and he could run the offense without any problem. And I think Fromm projects as that guy more so than than Morgan does. So I would win Fromm there, but overall, I mean, uh, drafting a backup quarterback in the fourth round, I'm not going to get too picky. They, they take the guy that they believe in, uh, and apparently that was James Morgan. I love the top three picks, Becton, Mims, and Davis. Again, my, my one issue with Davis was that I thought Bryce Hall might have been a good get there. I'm on board with Zuniga, mostly because there, there's no way that the Jets can have back-to-back third-round edge rushers from Florida be complete busts. Uh, P. Ryan and Morgan are my least favorite picks. I, I don't have a problem investing uh, at, at that point in the draft, investing in the fourth round in a running back and a backup quarterback. I like Cameron Clark in the fourth round. Another tackle could potentially be a guard because he's just over 300 pounds, so doesn't quite have the size that Becton does, but long arms and, and love the fact that he was the captain at Charlotte, so potential leadership there. And then round five, J.D. Snags, the guy that some people had slotted for the second round with Bryce Hall. I said grab him in the third. The Jets get him in the fifth. An absolute value pick. Like I said, some boards are projecting the second round. If he doesn't get hurt, he may have been even taken in the first. Ankle surgery halfway through his season last year with Virginia, though. A talented cornerback, an absolute position of need. And I think the fact that he couldn't really get checked out by teams because of COVID-19 restrictions impacted him, impacted his draft stock. It's hard for somebody like that to rebuild their stock if they can't meet with team doctors. Uh, Look, is there a chance that he doesn't fully recover? Sure. But that's why you invest a fifth-round pick in him. Super high ceiling for a fifth-rounder. I was shocked that he was there. Last pick, Braden Mann can't complain about investing a six-rounder in a punter in area of need. Again, he's well-decorated out of Texas A&M. Hopefully, some of that translates to the NFL. I'm not about to pretend to have any ability to break down punters, but social media was lauding his skills, and he's another captain. I think that's four captains that were drafted by Joe Douglas the last couple of days. So again, as we wrap up here, what these picks are going to end up being, no idea. But we learned something about Joe Douglas. I like his ability to move around. I like his ability to be flexible, willingness to be flexible, willingness to and and emphasis on maximizing assets, looks for character. And we always hear general managers say they want character guys. Drafting four captains shows an emphasis on that and taking guys with high ceilings. I can't guarantee this draft is going to be any better than what Mike McCagnan or, or John Idzik did a couple of years from now. I can't guarantee Joe Douglas is here two years from now. But his ability to orchestrate his first draft is at least a good sign. Thanks for listening to the Brandon Contest Jets podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes. And as always, be good.